Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Work with InfoSec podcast, the weekly podcast where we sit down with a different industry thought leader each week to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends and how those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for trying those trying to break in or move up the ladder of the cybersecurity industry. Today's episode is a webinar released on April 4th, 2019. It features three presenters, Kathleen Hyde, Chair of Cybersecurity Programs at Champlin College Online and a former guest of the podcast, Scott Madsen, CEO of Singo Systems, and Henry Harrison, CTO of Garrison. During the course of this webinar, our experts will discuss some of the following topics. The effects and ramifications of the cybersecurity skills gap. Strategies for finding new cybersecurity workers. Ongoing skills training that will help workers to keep one step ahead of cybercriminals. And we also answered some questions from live viewers. Now let's listen to this one-hour episode, How Can Organizations Close the Cyber Skills Gap? featuring Kathleen Hyde, Scott Madsen, Henry Harrison, and moderator Camille Dupuy. Uh, so we are excited to begin and, and kind of let me take some t- a moment here to introduce the panel of experts that we have with us today. Um, they are excited to talk about, you know, the biggest recurring challenge that we hear about at InfoSec, which of course is that growing cybersecurity skills gap. So to begin, we have Kathleen Hyde, and she is the Chair of Cybersecurity Programs at Champlain College Online. Catherine has an MCI, Kathleen, excuse me, has an MCIS and MBA, and she oversees the Cybersecurity and Digital Forensics Program at Champlain College Online. Uh, she has more than two decades of experience in cyber-specific consulting for small to mid-sized businesses and is a graduate of Linden State and the University of Phoenix. So happy to have you, Kathleen. Um, We also have Scott Madsen, and Scott is the CEO of Singo Solutions. Singo is a managed detection and response cybersecurity provider that has recently become SOC 2 certified. Scott leads the organization with an emphasis on strategic process and integration. He's passionate about technical solutions development, customer user experience, cybersecurity innovation, and European automotive history. And last but not least, we are fortunate to have Henry Harrison, and he is the CTO and co-founder at Garrison, uh, which is a technology startup focused on transforming cyber defenses. As a 25-year veteran of the technology and communications industry, uh, Henry has focused on the cybersecurity in the mid-2000s when he started as part of his work for the national security customers at Dedica. Following Dedica's acquisition by BAE Systems in late 2008, Henry became BAE's technical director for cybersecurity as the company built its market presence for cyber monitoring and incident response services. Um, So incredible group to have with us today. We've got lots of awesome perspectives and um, just a great mix of people. So we'll go ahead and get this presentation started. So thank you again all for joining us today. With that, I'm going to kind of just set the stage of what we're going to be talking about. So, you know, a lot of us have seen um, these different skills gap figures and that kind of thing. Um, But let's look at some of these stats real quick. So there's been a lot of studies and reports on the skills gap, but here we're looking at one of the most recent by ISC Squared um, and their cybersecurity workforce study. So one of the points that they found was the shortage of cybersecurity professionals has grown to nearly 3 million globally, um, with almost half a million openings here in uh, North America. And looking at that, 63% of those surveys surveyed reported a shortage of dedicated cybersecurity staff, and nearly 60% said um, that the shortage put their organization at moderate or extreme risk of cyber attack, um, you know, just kind of not, not having those folks that they need. Um, and then lastly here, the lack of skilled cybersecurity professionals is now the top job concern for those surveyed, uh, outranking the previous concerns such as lack of budget, time, and work-life balance. So, you know, definitely something that needs to be addressed and, and kind of figure out how to solve this issue. Uh, so with that, we will go ahead and start kind of hearing from our panelists on their perspectives here. So, um, First question we're going to pose is, has the cybersecurity skills gap ever affected you or your job duties? Um, And so let's kind of talk about personal experiences here. Um, Scott, I know part of what you do is kind of cybersecurity analysis. What have you seen uh, regarding the the shortage there? 
Well, first off, I wanted to say thanks for, to InfoSec for putting this on. I think it's a very important topic of discussion yeah. that we need to be discussing more, especially uh, reaching a broader audience, people who are working outside in IT that are outside of the cybersecurity uh, network. I think it's, it's, it's a great topic and also uh, grateful to talk to the panelists uh, or fellow panelists, Henry and Kathleen. I think it's going to be a great discussion. Um, for me, uh, our company, we deal with, uh, you know, we, we employ people from all the way from just a regular uh, client and customer support uh, representative who just works in IT all the way up to uh, software engineers who are constantly adapting and trying to innovate new product for us to uh, guarantee or, or, or give, give our clients a, better, a greater guarantee of, of, uh, of safety and security when out in the web. Um, for me, it's difficult. It has always been difficult to, to locate qualified people. Um, I think that we've taken a tack where we look for, you know, people who are curious, people who enjoy working in IT, where there's a passion there, people who enjoy problems and, and puzzles and trying to learn how to solve them. Um, that's usually what we look for. And then we bring them in, um, again, in the, in the kind of the, the client support side and, and watch for people who stand out amongst the crowd. And we try to promote really heavily from within every once in a while we get a, an applicant who's just really well, um, well healed, has a good history in it. Uh, we love when that happens. We love to see how they integrate. Um, but historically, it's been, it, I think any company like ours, it's, it, is the, it is the problem to have is, is trying to find qualified people who have had some sort of history in the, in the industry. And I know for me, I started off in IT. And so there was this natural transformation of going from information technology to information security. So it was basically market driven in the companies that I was working for. Today, though, where I see it, and basically it's a really affecting my job duties, is that I'm working uh, in my role as the, the chair of um, cybersecurity and digital forensics programs with companies that are looking for talent, and they're coming to me and they're saying, my goodness, we don't have people who have X, Y, and Z skills. What can you do to you know, facilitate them being able to learn these skills and know them and be successful applicants? So it's almost on a daily basis where I'm having to look at my programs and see where do we fit in the market, but also what is the market telling us that they need? And I can tell you after talking to uh, numerous different employers that what, they're, what, what we're seeing for these numbers for the skills gap um, is probably right on target. If not, more so, if not it's, it's going to be worse than what we're predicting. From my perspective, I, I, I'd... Um point out that obviously the cybersecurity skills gap rather tends to change its perspective as you get older. Um, I'm not quite as young as I was 25 years ago. 25 years ago, the skills gap was fantastic because it meant I could get great jobs and I could get a, build a great career. Now, now kind of towards the other end of, the career, uh, of my career, I'm, I'm focused on building companies and my, my job is, is trying to find people to, 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 to build my team. And so cybersecurity skills gap looks like rather different from the other side of things. So that's just the nature of, uh, of any industry that relies on, on, on skilled people. Uh, it's an opportunity for some and it's a challenge for others. Sure. So, you know, I think we can all agree that, you know, whether whether or not the numbers are exact on on the people that we need in the roles, um, you know, every organization is facing some sort of some sort of difficulty from this. Um, so with that, I know you touched on just briefly right before um, some of you had said, you know, what the differences are when you first started in the industry. So transitioning to that, how has the skills gap evolved throughout your careers? Um, you know, technology has dramatically changed in the past 10, 15, even the past couple years. Um, so kind of wondering if you have any ideas on where is that true gap? Um, is the shortage everywhere or is there certain job areas and job skills where the gap is um, a gulf and others where it's small or non-existent? Um, so, Henry, you just you just kind of touched on on the involvement throughout your career. Yeah. So maybe you want to start out there. I think there is one. I think there's, you know, as you say, there's, there are skills gaps throughout technology and technology constantly changes. But one of the things that I think we've all seen and that, you know, it's very close to Scott's Part, given what he does uh, for a living, is that so when we about ten years ago, I was building a you know starting to build a monitoring and incident response business um, in a market where that almost didn't exist really. You know, I'd go to see people 
I'd go to see senior executives at, at, at potential customers and they'd go, hmm, cybersecurity, yeah, I think there's a guy called Bob in IT somewhere who deals with that. And, and we were building a monitoring capability and that was just not something people had done really, so we were really brand new people. Um, now, every organization I talk to is building, has got or is building their security operations center or they're contracted for security operations in some way. We've just seen this huge explosion in demand for um, folks who are in the kind of uh, analysts, uh, incident response people, other people involved fundamentally in security operations from a, from a essentially almost zero 10 years ago. And so it's no big surprise that there's a massive skills gap. But I think that the, um, the, the, the perspective that that also brings is that skills gaps change. And although that's to where today's skills gap is, I wouldn't necessarily assume that in another 10 years, that's going to be where all the demand is because people change what they're looking for and they change their security strategies, they change their priorities. Um, but we do have a very, you know, I, I certainly see that being a constant theme um, for folks is how do we get good uh, cybersecurity analysts and, and operations people. Right, I, and I absolutely agree with that. I think that, you know, the difficult thing about cybersecurity in particular is its life cycle, and, and that's, that's similar throughout all technology. You're going to have a life cycle for technology where, you know, in, in, um, in uh, software development, there's always the, the new language that's the, the best and, and the greatest, and it's going to revolutionize the world, and it does for about seven or eight years. And then another language comes along that's more efficient, more effective, it's easier to learn, it's easier to deploy. And I think... Of all the IT industries out there, cybersecurity has the fastest life cycle because the threats are consistently changing. And I think that it takes a very uh, skilled and dedicated personality type to deal with that. Um, I think that, you know, something, if, you, if you're working on a project that, uh, that is, is a deterrent or, or where, whether it's a proactive um, uh, security measure or if it's a deterrent uh, or something like that, you know, if you're working on that for six or seven months and you deploy it, and the next week all of a sudden it's it it's it doesn't matter. The 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 threat is adapted and it's it's different. You can't get discouraged in this industry. You have to be able to really take things on the chin and continue to develop. And I think that there is uh, how it's evolved is that I think life cycles get shorter the better technology gets. Um, I think that people who work in the industry have to have, like I say, a genuine. Uh, curiosity every day to go into work and to do this type of work and they have to have you know a, 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 a tough chin I guess you, you have to be able to take it on the chin and, and and let your work that is meaningful to you sometimes mean nothing because you're you're behind the curve and you got to get ahead of the curve and I think psychologically that can be tough on folks but I also think that uh, you know making sure that you have that that genuine interest in in cybersecurity that you enjoy solving puzzles that you enjoy um, being at the at the leading edge of of uh, you know of, of your industry, I think that if if that's the personality type, you'll do you'll do well here. And I also think it's important to note that um, there's there's a big push towards automation, and that um, when you start talking about the cybersecurity skills gap, a lot of people will say, "Well, we'll just automate everything, and that will solve the problem." And what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing from my partners is that that's not going to solve the problem. In fact, it's meaning that they need more uh, and, and better skilled and more qualified applicants. And so that goes, goes along with what you're saying is that it constantly changes. So what we had yesterday and what the needs were yesterday are certainly not going to be the needs for tomorrow. And, you know, when we start looking at artificial intelligence, um, and automation, uh, I think that we need to keep in mind that, yes, that's going to help us with our overall cybersecurity posture, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to need human assets and resources. Oh, I, I absolutely I agree. And I think that that's something that Kathleen is, is kind of so interesting about what you're, the work you're doing is that typically, I mean, the people that we get here, uh, the, the applicants that we get, if they have an IT degree or if they have, um, you know, they have some sort of college certificate or some backing, you know, it doesn't it, it it doesn't really mean that they've got what what they think they've got as far as actual application. Um, and I think that doing work specifically in in an environment to help these uh, prospects get to a place where they are um, they are they are trained, they are capable, they are up to date on the threat, and they are ready to deploy into the into the marketplace. I think that can be a, a tremendous aid to to both mine and Henry's style of business. 
I, I do think though that the the this this fact that this this demand for this particular type of cybersecurity analyst come operations person has exploded so much in the last 10 years. And the fact that, as Scott says, it changes so fast and you can build, you know, people are building protections or defenses that are then obsolete a few months later kind of has to make you think, like, is this actually a sustainable model to, 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 to go forward? Like, you know, the cybersecurity threat's not not going away. They, the attacker also has access to, to automation and artificial intelligence and so on. And so is this actually really a sustainable way to keep, to keep going? We can't end up turning every human being on the planet into a cyber analyst because somebody's got to do the rest of the job. <laughs> I, I totally agreed. I, I think, uh, you know, well, I think, you know, with, with the, the way that it's developed since the early 90s, I think things... You, the, you get to, to where you're, you're maxed out on current technology where you just, you can't see past, you know, there's, there's always a, a, a revolutionary guy that comes along that kind of breaks down all the barriers that everybody's got in their mind. And then it opens up a whole new decade of innovation. And I think that, you know, for, for where we are, I think that companies are doing their best to stay ahead of it. I think that, you know, with, with the type of work, it seems like that Garrison's doing, and uh, and also that Singo does is that you yeah sure you you deal with the, the day to day you deal with what we're what we're facing but I think that if any, any company like ours or any company that's in cybersecurity isn't looking forward for a total solution something that's going to be completely outside of the framework of you know a, a detection and response or a you know waiting until something happens before we can take any action or you know with the analysts building statistical data so that we can understand the way the threats are coming and and try to try to to forecast i mean i think that everybody in the industry is that, that's going to matter is right now investing really heavily in new technology that's going to be more of a global solution than rather just looking at taking a client as a as piece rate and saying okay we're going to we're going to find a solution and make it work for this guy um, and and you know it, it, it's it, it's a good defense but it's not it again it's not that proactive solution that's going to uh, you know fundamentally shift the industry yeah i mean my my perspective is that the pendulum swung very very heavily in the last 10 years towards monitoring and and response you right. know detect, detection response where 10 years ago that just didn't exist at all you right. went to go talk to people about security and it was like well i've got a firewall um and 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 it's probably you know it's it, it's inevitably going to swing back again and people are, are beginning now to start asking okay hang on a moment how do i actually protect myself better in the first place mm -hmm. um because that's the only way you can deal with the kind of absolute runaway demand for, for, as I say, turning every human being on the planet into a cyber analyst. Yeah, that's right. Well, I the, think, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say on the employee side of things or the, the applicant side of things, you know, I think that um, employers are looking for people who don't just have the degrees. They absolutely want them to have experience because they want you to hit the ground running. And that's because of the way that we need to be, you know, protecting and, um, dealing with the threats that are out there. Um, so it's not enough right now to just have a degree. You have to have experience with that. And so when you look at those job postings, that's also where we've got a gap because you have people who uh, maybe have the degree, they've got some experience, but they don't have the experience that are, is necessary. And so that's also part of that whole cybersecurity skills gap that we've got going on. Yep. Like, like the ads that say, uh, yeah, I want somebody with uh, 10 years of cloud DevOps, right? It's kind of like, <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, yeah. So does everybody that else. That yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of that kind of transitions well into uh, the next question that we're going to pose is, um, what are these practical solutions that we're looking for? And, and specifically, how can organizations better assess their cybersecurity skill gaps and find candidates to fill those roles? Um, so I think my thought kind of there is, you know, it often gets brought up that uh, a counterpoint is that um, there's actually a training gap, whereas, you know, as you all were just mentioning, uh, people want so-and-so many years of, you know, experience in this and five years in this and 10 years in this and practical experience in that and, and that kind of thing. Um, so Kathleen, I know that's something that you, you monitor heavily of what the trends are of, of what they're looking for and, and what, um, you know, an organization would be looking for. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe you could start out there. Well, I do monitor that pretty heavily because that dictates where uh, basically the strategic vision that we have for the programs at Champlain College. Um, so I'm monitoring those job those job um, 
position openings and then speaking with the employers. And one of the things that I find is that, you know, there's there's this tendency for uh, HR departments and nothing against HR, but, you know, they're, they're supposed to be sourcing the talent. So they go out and they say, well, we need this particular position. And they look for other positions and they see that they need 10 years of experience. And uh, then we can kind of keep replicating those ads. Um, so what ends up happening is that we end up with an ad that really is an indicative of what we need the person to have for the for the skills that are actually required to do the position. So that's one area where we we organizations can do a better job matching what their needs are to the talent that's available and, and having more successful applicants. Um, what we've also seen is that you know there's a difference between an organization saying we are going to embed and create a cybersecurity culture within the organization versus an organization that says, you know, our business that says we need to hire for this, you know, IT or IS or cybersecurity division that we have that will be overseeing our efforts to secure our data and our assets. So there's really a difference there. Um, I think from what I've seen, the the organizations that are looking for that baseline cybersecurity position where they want to have everybody in the organization have uh, some level of understanding of cybersecurity concepts, um, how that interfaces with everything that is done on a daily basis for the organization's goals. Um, they tend to do better in their assessments of for cybersecurity and then finding finding candidates. And that's because when they're doing those trainings and the, the assessments internally, you know, whether it's through phishing campaigns, um, something like that to assess what skills the, the talent already has, their existing employees. Um, they're basically assessing that and they have an idea of who knows what. And sometimes that sparks interest. And so you end up having applicants uh, from within that you can then promote and add training to. So, you know, one of the ways that they assess it really is by doing phishing campaigns and, and testing their employees. And that's how they do the assessments. So it, it's kind of a, I don't think that there's any one way to do it right. Um, I think it's, it's, based on the organization's needs, but I find that the ones, the organizations that do that basic assessment and they're creating that culture are the ones that handle and manage this much better than the ones that don't. So I, I, I always tend to focus for, for, for this question of, of, of training that Camille, you, you raised on trainability. Um, when I've been building technology organizations, I've always tried to work on the basis that you you hire great people and great people like learning stuff and they can pick up new things and take on new tasks. Um, I remember when I, when I, we, early in my career, I, I had a, a placement in the, uh, in a, in a uh, electronics manufacturer's quality assurance department. And there was a guy I was working with who, you know, he worked on the line kind of inspecting goods in. And I said, you know, I love learning the new stuff I'm learning. And he said, oh, no, God, I've done enough of learning. I don't want to learn anything more. I'm done with that. Um, and, 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 and realistically, if that's the people that you've got, you're in, you've got real trouble because this stuff doesn't stand still. Um, and and if, conversely, if you've got great people, then rather than trying to create the kind of, uh, you know, job specification for a unicorn that doesn't exist, um, let's let let let's instead like look around the people that we've got and say, well, you know what? I reckon that uh, you know I, I reckon that Jane could take that job on, or I reckon Bob could take that job on, um, and and give them opportunities. And that, in my experience, that's always worked out really really well. Um, and and by and large, people tend to you know if you've got the right people, they embrace those opportunities and they do a fantastic job for you. Yeah, I, th I think uh, to add to that, you know, one, one thing that we've seen uh, with most of our clientele is this uh, kind of anemic response towards cybersecurity from, from executives. Uh, you know, I, th I think that's the hardest sell. There's a, um, a cybersecurity uh, analytic, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a survey that comes out every year. It's called the Net Diligence Survey. It's put on by a company called RSM. And in the back of it, they, uh, they have a statistic where, and they build this all off of actuarial data. So it's actually stuff that insurance companies have paid out on. But they say uh, the cybersecurity special report revealed that 97% of executives are moderately to very confident in their organization's ability to safeguard data. And yet there's been a 160% increase in breaches in mid-sized businesses since 2015. Yeah. And that's, that's really, I think, the most dangerous part of this whole thing is that people don't know what they don't know. And when they say, yeah, I'm done learning, and that happens a lot. And 
the, the worst part that you can have that, uh, that attitude towards is internal IT. And I think a lot of people just get used to fixing printers and making sure that the network's up and running and making sure that people's emails are functional, that they forget that there's, there's an absolutely, completely complementary skill set that's totally unaddressed. And I think that... Well, and uh, also that things can be different, right? right. I mean, I think you're, I couldn't agree with you more. I was nodding my head furiously as you said that. The, the, you know, the, the, the number of people, not, not, not in cybersecurity specifically, but in, in yep. internal IT, who assume, well, this is the way IT is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. And, yeah. and it's not true. It's not the way it is. It's going to be different in 10 years' time. Exactly. And I was, we, we work, uh, you know, we, we do work for attorneys and, and, uh, and, and just anybody who handles any kind of private data. And I was speaking with an attorney a while ago, and they were talking to me about, like, I wonder if Bob, who sits in, in the IT, this, this, the, the CTO or the CIO in these companies who, you know, is, is mostly just worried about keeping emails and keeping things up. But they said, I, I wonder if he understands the lightning rod that he is in case that company experiences a breach. And I think that having, helping companies to understand that and to say, look, you know, these people who work, have worked in IT, if they've been there for 30 years and they haven't had continuing education, they are drastically underprepared for the threat that they deal with on a daily basis. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for younger guys who are wanting to come in and actually add the cybersecurity element because you have to have the internal IT. It's, it's just a part of the deal. You got to keep the, the, the business running. But you also have to have people kind of looking at the horizon, making sure that the area and the direction that you're traveling in is, is one that's going to keep, you know, keep the ship safe. Um, and so I think, you know, and, until there's, and, and part of the most important work that I think we can do as, as people in the industry and also as educators is help convince the, the, the executives of tomorrow that, that, that they're not safe. That just because they have some, you know, Norton antivirus on the computers, that somehow that is, that's, that's the magic thing that's going to create, uh, you know, an unlimited amount of future security. And I, I think that uh, as, as we work towards that, and especially with hiring younger kids and, and, and getting uh, the next generation of, of, of workers in place and, and, uh, and educated, that we can help impart to them the importance of this so that they can go in and help shift the culture of the companies they start working for. I think it's also very important, too, that we have to realize that there's a place for people who are coming into cybersecurity, that they may not have all the skills, but they have soft skills that are outstanding. And those can go a long way. If you've got somebody who can communicate well, both with the, both with the end users and the C-suite, but they can also problem solve, that is fantastic. If you can find somebody who can problem solve, you can typically train that person very quickly to come into cybersecurity and start handling tasks. I, I agree. I think that if they have the right personality and the right demeanor, I think that, you know, sometimes something that you end up with are, are you know, people who just don't have a, a good ethic toward, you know, learning. They want to they wanna come in and be right and be in charge at the beginning. And I think that this is such a nuanced uh, industry to work in that being, I mean, if, if you're not willing to, to look at a team and team success and, 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 and work in that kind of a format, it's, I, doubt, I don't think you're going to have the success that you could have in other areas because certain personality types are driven toward, you know, the lone wolf and, and doing well there. But with here, I mean, everybody watches each other's back and you, you really have to be willing to integrate and learn from each other. And I think that if you do so, get definitely the soft skills and the ability to, to the curiosity, the, be able, the ability to learn. I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit for anybody who has, you know, that, those three uh, skills together. But with soft skills, I think... Um, you know, this was a big deal, right? When you we go back again 10 years ago, this was a really big deal because you had some, you know, technical guys and you had people at the top of the organization starting to get worried about cybersecurity and the two couldn't communicate with each other at all. And so we've seen, you know, a huge premium on soft skills. We've seen the introduction of the CISO role, which um, demands soft skills because they need to go talk to the board. But there's a risk that you just push the problem down because the soft skills need to work in both directions. It's no good as a CISO, for example, just having the soft skills to talk to your board if you don't have the soft skills to talk to the technical guys. That's right. Um, and and all, all you've done then is recreate the problem that existed before, but just put it in a different place in the hierarchy of the organization. And, and of course, that's a really hard problem for organizations to solve because necessarily boards are going to be choosing as their CISOs, the guys with the good soft skills, um, how do they verify they've got the guy who can actually talk to the, 
to, to, to the guys who really understand the technological issues and, and, and the threats and the potential solutions. I think, I think you know, we, we, there's, a, there's a, some combination of soft and hard there, but that's the, that's the magic uh, combination that you need to be looking for. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Now, before we move on to the next question, I'll just, I'll just kind of pose, um, are there any other tools or techniques that can be used that you've kind of heard of in the, in the new hiring process to find the right candidates or, or new tools or services to maximize uh, kind of that existing employee effectiveness? I know you, um, the panel had kind of briefly touched on, on finding people with those soft skills or, or finding people with those other skills. And I think from my own perspective, one thing that organizations could do is, you know, not automatically disqualify someone because they don't meet every single requirement out of 15. Um, but, you know, if, if they meet 13 out of those, you know, I think, I think organizations should be willing to kind of take some of those and, and be willing to train that person or, or train those existing employees. And, and you feel free to disagree with me if you have a different thought there, but um, I think that would be a, a useful way to, um, you know, fill that gap more closely. No, and I think that organizations actually are doing that. Um, there's a lot of talk about upskilling and reskilling. Um, and I know some of the partners that we, we work with, you know, that was kind of like what they were doing early on, say, three, four, five years ago. Now they're actually coming to us and they're saying, okay, who graduated? Where can we put them within the organization? So it's not merely enough to just come and get additional training, additional degrees, certificates, whatever. Um, we have to have those, those employers now take come full circle and utilize that intelligence to, to place people in the um, openings that are available internally. So I think we are seeing that. The other thing is you mentioned, um, you know, that employers need to look at applicants who don't have, meet all the criteria. I think also applicants need to look at that the other way around. If they don't meet all the criteria, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't apply for the position. What they should do is apply for the position. And then if they're not selected, they should ask what else would have made me a better candidate. And so that's putting them in the driver's seat so that if they do want to come into, into cybersecurity or if they're in, you know, information technology and are moving into cybersecurity, they're going to find out what the employer wants so that they can tailor what, what they need to do. I think when you've got a skills gap, as you have, it's really important to remember that the job market works both ways. It's not just about employers going, deciding whether they want this applicant or not. It's also about the applicant deciding whether they want this employer or not. And if you think about what you need here, you know, we've, as I said earlier, you've got a constantly changing field. You need to hire people who are trainable, who are interested in learning new stuff, who are fundamentally curious, uh, you know, the sort of person you want. Well, they're going to choose, choose you based on whether you're going to give them interesting work or not, right? There's no point, there's no point to saying, right, I want to go out and get these really great people that are going to be endlessly curious and endlessly motivated and then giving them really, really boring work because they're not going to choose you. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really well taken point. I think that Sometimes the, the, the field gets tipped a little toward the employer having all of the say and all of the control, but I mean, we really don't. I, when you mention, you know, if, if you have a, 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 an applicant who has 13 out of 15, the only thing I have to say to that is you find me that dude, that headhunter who's getting 13 out of 15 on a regular basis, because that would be, that would be <clears> amazing. <throat> I would love that. But I think that, uh, you know, what you end up with is finding people who are, are capable and who, again, have that, have that ethic to work. I think that, you know, for us, and, I, and like I said, I'm not familiar, and that's what's so exciting to me about Champlain and what they're doing and, and Kathleen's work is because I, I don't think that there's a college that's gotten out in front of this and actually said, we're going to produce high-level, high-skilled, out-of-the-box, cybersecurity-specific, capable people. And I think, you know, most of the people that we hire out of college, if they're young um, and, and just out of college, typically we've got a year or two of them doing mundane work to see if they have any interest in actually doing this. I mean, they, again, they, they get out of college with some great vocational skills and some, some soft skills. They interview well. They seem very interested. But then when you get them in the seat, they, they just want to punch the clock. It's a nine to five and then they're done. And I think that in this industry, we can't they won't survive. We as employers, we can't hire people who are just here to punch the clock and take the, take the pay, payroll and then go home. We want people who are just, who are going to be obsessed with it, who it's going to become a life's work. And I think Henry's a good example of that because 
you know, he can, he can give you, uh, you know, tongue and verse for 10 years about the development and, and how he's been on the forefront trying to, to, you know, build these, uh, you know, state of the art technology. That's not a guy who's, who's tired of it or gets bored with it. That's, that's a good example. And I think that if you are a person looking for a job and looking, looking to join this industry, if you don't see yourself doing that, if you don't see yourself taking risks and, and, and dry, you know, eventually looking at starting your own firm or, you know, pushing the limits to the edge um, of, of, of what you're comfortable with and what you know, then it's, it's really, again, it's just not a, not a great place for you. I think an internal IT job, I think that even, uh, you know, a, a DevOps job or a, or a full-time engineer, you know, those, those could be really, really good fits for you. But if you don't have that interest in, you know, hitting the boards after work every night, trying to see what threats are coming and how you can deal with it, I just, I don't see it being a long-term successful uh, endeavor for you. Don't forget um, you know, it's never mentioned on these things, but you've got to pay right, right? I mean, yes, <laughs> good people, you've got to pay them well. And I think there's, the, the, you know, it's always the case whenever anyone talks about the skills gap that, there's, that, that actually some of that is about a pay gap, as in people want, they want skills and, and a particular grade of people, but they're not prepared to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you better face up to the fact that actually you've got to pay more if you're going to get better people. And that means you then got to question, your business plan gets called into question because your business plan says, I'm going to, I'm going to hire this many people at this, at this salary. Well, actually, if you can't get those people at that salary, it means you're going to have to think about what people you do need. And that means, well, actually, maybe I can't execute the strategy I was going to execute, uh, which comes back to my point about saying, well, actually, maybe the right answer here is not to build quite such a large monitoring capability. It's to invest some more money around protecting ourselves so that there is less demand on the um, uh, cyber operations side of things. And then I can start that with a smaller number of good people rather than trying to you know, pursue this idea. I can, I can, I can hire tons of people at a, at a salary that realistically I'm not going to get them in the market. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that transitions well into kind of the next question here. Um, a career opportunity, right? So on the flip side of, of what those organizations are looking for, um, what should individuals kind of in this industry be doing to take advantage of the cybersecurity skills gap? And I know we touched on, you know, I mean, there is, there's some huge advantages to being a qualified person in a gap this large, you know, whether it be, um, you know, the, the pay they may expect would be um, some very nice pay most likely and and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it's, so it's a big opportunity for those people, but what should they be doing to, to take advantage of this demand? Um, and, and Kathleen, maybe we'll start with you on this one. Well, I think the first thing is they basically need to look at, are, it is cyber something that interests them. Once they get over that hurdle and they've made that decision that they're interested in cybersecurity or they're interested in, you know, if they're younger going into cybersecurity or they're older, they want a career change into cybersecurity. Really, it first comes with, you know, you need to educate yourself about what cybersecurity is, what the different positions are that are available in cybersecurity, whether or not you're going to be an operations person, you're going to be a policy person, um, and you need to become familiar with the domains of cybersecurity. So once you've done that, you've gotten over that hurdle and you've said, this looks like a field for me. This is where I want to go. You know, you're not just looking at those dollar signs as opportunity, but you're looking at it as a larger picture. Then what you need to do is you need to say, what skills do I have? Okay, I've got really good soft skills, but I don't have the technical skills. How am I going to get those technical skills? You've got basically two options. You've got training and you've got, you know, the academic side of the house. Um, and either way, whichever one you choose, whether it's training or academics, one thing that you're going to want to look for is whether or not those experience, whether or not you're going to get hands-on experience. Are you going to be learning the tools, you know, and using the tools that you're going to be using in the field? Now, that doesn't mean that you learn those tools and you don't know, you, you don't gain an understanding of how things work behind the scenes. You have to understand basic information technology concepts um, and how networks work and, and you know, the different devices that are being utilized and, and software development for you to be successful. So you don't want to go just with the hands-on. You really need to become, uh, you know, a much broader education. And I think that that's really where it starts is you have to decide you want to do it. You have to figure out what skills you have 
what strengths you have, what weaknesses you have, and then you need to look for a program, um, whether it's training or maybe your employer offers training. Maybe they're offering training, and I've seen this before with some of the partners we work with. They offer training. They offer tuition reimbursement for their employees who are willing to go get a degree in cybersecurity because they know that if they do that, it's going to make the organization stronger. You're going to have people who are more cognizant of what the real threats are, and they're going to do things to protect the organization. So you're creating that cybersecurity culture, um, which is more of the prevention that, that we've been discussing. And uh, so take advantage of those tuition reimbursements if you have them. Uh, take advantage of trainings that are offered by your employer. And then once you have that and you start developing, building your skills, then you can look at, you know, making an application and making that shift into a, a dedicated cyber position. One thing that I want to mention is that, you know, a lot of people associate uh, this industry with being male-dominated. And there certainly is a place, and I would encourage, strongly want to encourage women and minorities who are thinking about, a, a, you know, joining the, the exciting field of cybersecurity and getting a position in it, uh, that they look at it as an uh, opportunity for them to uh, really take on a new role and be quite successful in the field. So um, I, one, one thing I, I couldn't agree with more from Kathleen's perspective there is the fact that just knowing a set of tools is not good enough in this industry. You need to actually understand the technology. Um, and we see too many people, now this is maybe a very uniquely, I'm, I'm based on the other side of the Atlantic here, in, I'm in London in the UK, right in the middle of the political turmoil that the country is facing right now. Um, and um, what we see quite frequently is people uh, coming out of ostensibly very good university courses in computer science who know some tools but still don't actually understand how a computer works um, or how a network works. And that's profoundly depressing when you find that. So what I would say to people who are trying to, individuals is, you know, be careful about the courses that you take and try and discriminate between things that are actually just training in some tools which have their places, but it's not a university course and university courses that are actually giving you some really good foundational understanding that you'll be able to exploit throughout your career. I, I agree. And I think, you know, something comes to mind of uh, there's a there's an old saying and I don't know the attribution. So please, if, if anybody knows it, please give it. But there's a there's an old saying of uh, romance, precision and generalization. And what it means is romance is, gets you into a concept, gets you in an idea because you fall in love with this idea of, of what it could be. And then when, when you have enough romance, it pushes you into precision because then you have to learn how to um, adapt and how to, how to, you know, how to reasonably fulfill. It's kind of like the apprentice journeyman master. And then when you emerge from the, from the precision, you have generalization where you know enough of the basics and you understand very well that you can start to um, really go out and innovate and change the and change the uh, uh, the framework of the of the industry if 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 you have that uh, you know skill set. But I think that that's an important thing for us to remember is that when people come into this, as far as skills, you know what skills we look for, we just want people who are willing to work hard and have a good attitude. And we put them in. We'll, we'll bring them in again into a low level position in, in customer service. And if they excel. We want to continue to reward the, the excellence. And I think that that creating a culture inside the company of not just rewarding people who necessarily have, have the right to CE credits or, or things like that, but people who are willing to do the work, who love the work and who are involved and invested and want to become, you know, want to get through that precision and get to generalization. That's, that's really what we look for. And I think that if you have the passion, if you have the willingness to stick to itiveness, then I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a great future for you in the industry, no matter who your employer is. Certainly, um, some some really good insight there, and just you know, what what do people need to look at um, to help with this gap? Uh, so, kind of finishing off here, this would be one of our last questions before um, moving on to the question and answer session. Um, a holistic view, so this this long term look um, at the skills gap. So, how can we grow this talent, this pool of talent that we need? Um, as far as cybersecurity professionals to help close the skills gap. Um, I know one thing we're doing here at InfoSec is, um, you know, encouraging people to look at our scholarship program, um, and that's aimed at building a diverse workforce, um, getting more people involved in the industry. And then one other question I'll pose is, you know, how do we encourage more people to enter the field, and how do we encourage organizations 
to look at those non-traditional candidates um, as a potential solution. Um, so curious to hear some thoughts there. I know that for me, one of the things that I've been doing, especially over the last, I would say, six to eight months, is really encouraging women to come into the industry. Um, and that's something that, you know, as a woman, I started a long time ago in IT. Then I moved into, you know, cybersecurity. And it never really occurred to me to offer the opportunity to other women until I went to a conference last year. And somebody said, you know, if you're a woman and you're moving up in cybersecurity, you know, you almost have a duty to offer that opportunity to other women and encourage them to join you. And it just didn't occur to me to do that. So that's one of the ways, one of the things that I'm doing is, you know, every time I'm out and I'm speaking, every time that I am on a presentation, um, I'm encouraging women because we need more women. We only have, you know, about 11 to 13% of the cybersecurity workforce is comprised of women. That, that's a huge opportunity for women to come in and help fill that skills gap um, because a lot of them have the technical skills, a lot of them have the soft skills, um, but maybe they haven't thought about joining, you know, having a, a career in it. Um, and so by offering that opportunity, sharing what um, I have done in the field uh, with them and encouraging them to, to step out of their comfort zone and then come into cybersecurity is something that I'm doing. And I think that if we can have more women and minorities involved in, uh, you know, wanting to come into the field, I think that we can uh, have them assist us in filling that gap. I, I'd say two things. One, one is, if you're willing to be open-minded about the people that you might hire on the basis that they're going to be good people that you can, you know, who will, who will want to learn new skills and so on, watch out for the recruitment supply chain. Because you might want that, but if you're using agencies um, or HR partners in that process, they will often um, fall back on, you know, what they're used to, uh, what they, and they won't put in front of you the candidates that you might be looking for. And we've, we've seen that here with, with, in our business with people, for example, returning after a career break or you know, other kind of like unusual profiles where agencies kind of start from the position that, well, you're bound to be unemployable, um, which is nonsense, and you need to watch out for that. But the other thing I'd say with regard to long-term solutions is we sometimes get caught up in discussions about uh, policy. Um, so, you know, how, how, to, how to, at a national or international level, should we be planning for this in the long term? And, and one of the things I often caution with that is, you know, watch out for assumptions about long-term planning because don't assume that, you know, even in five years' time, what we're looking for is going to be the same as what we're looking for today. So if we put massive amounts of effort into, you know, teaching every high school student that they want to be a SOC analyst, uh, and then, you know, they come out and find, actually, you know what, <laughs> that's not where the industry's moved to. It's moved on and we're, we're, we're particularly looking for different skills right now. Um, so try and focus on, let's try and make sure we focus on giving people the kind of underlying understanding and knowledge that can be turned to a wide range of things. Because there are things that I learned when I was 12 about how computers work that I still use today. And then there are things that I learned very recently about some specific tool that are already obsolete. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I think that the boom and bust cycle of technology is, is, can be a very dangerous one if we're talking about long term. I mean, if we look back to the late 90s, at least in the U.S., we had a dot-com boom and everybody that I knew was going back to college to get a four-year degree in IT. And by the time they got out, the, bus, the, the dot-com bust had happened and every one of them was going back to their old jobs that they were at before. And I think that is, that is something that uh, I, I don't think cybersecurity is going away, but I think the, ad, the adaptability and, and it's thinking that you're going to learn a skill uh, in a four-year degree or, or in a, even in a master's program that's going to be applicable endlessly is, I think, a mistake. And I think that as long as uh, people continue to be adaptive, I think that's the only really skill set you can, you can say is going to add value long-term is the ability yeah. to adapt. And that's how we should be selling people on getting into this industry. Is you get into this industry because it's going to be endlessly interesting. Right. <laughs> You're going to be constantly learning new things. And, and that's the sort of people we want. And this is the industry for you if that's what you want. Rather than saying, hey, yeah, the right, the right answer is we're going to train you on this tool and this tool and this tool. Um, now, I know it can look, when you're, when you're looking for a job and stuff, it can look, it can not look like that because you do get these long lists of 15 points that you must have this and this and this and this. But the reality is the, the people the people are hiring aren't really going to get that. And that's just today's list. Tomorrow's list is going to be different. Yep. 
I agree. Well, for, for time's sake here, we'll move on so that we can uh, get to the question and answer session. But again, wanted to thank our panelists for, um, for all these insights here. So um, as noted, we'll be starting that Q&A portion in just a moment. So if you've got any lingering questions, uh, feel free to submit those and, and we'll get to just as many as we can. Um, but a reminder here after the presentation, you'll receive a copy of our new report. Um, so the 2019 Cybersecurity Insider or Cybersecurity Industry Report, uh, Three Steps Employers Can Take to Close the Skills Gap. And this report uh, is based on a survey of nearly 800 information security professionals. And we found some surprising results around the lack of confidence in career direction. Uh, plus, we'll outline a few ways that employers can empower their employees to create a culture that helps to close the skills gap. Um, and then lastly here, before we start, um, the Q&A portion wanted to mention again our scholarship program that'll be opening any day now and that is aimed at bringing more women, um, diversity, more military members as well as undergraduates into the field. Uh, so keep that link handy and check that out that'll be opening uh, very shortly. So with that let's go ahead and move on to the question and answer here with our panelists. Um, so let's kind of start with a question that came through um, in the in the chat here um, about the skills gap causing stressed out employees and a poor work-life balance. Um, how do you address that situation you know, so that we don't lose the employees we do have in the field? Well, I think, at least for us, company culture is probably the most important part of what we do. It's the thing we stress the most. It's the thing that we build the most value behind for in a prospective uh, hire. You know, we, we have, we, we try not to upset the environment that we've got. We, we, we currently, I mean, we're outside Las Vegas currently, but I mean, we hire out of uh, San Francisco. We pay a, a similar wage to, to Silicon Valley, which is difficult to do when you're not in Silicon Valley. Um, but trying to create an environment, we, you have to understand these people are going to be working under stress, and you have to understand that it's not it's a, it's a never-ending stress. It's a psychological uh, taxation rather than just you know a physical one. Um, and, and I think that uh, understanding how to give time off, understanding how to keep the lines of communication open when somebody gets burned out, they need to be able to communicate that with their management. Like they, you shouldn't just keep saying, well, you know, tough. It's, it's, you know, it's during work hours. Go deal with it. Um, I think another thing is trying to uh, provide other ways for them to, to kind of break away from the, from the mental exercise that it is. Um, a big thing we do here is we, we encourage people to play, you know, video games, Call, Call of Duty specifically, because it, it ends up, you work as a team, you have these experiences, you have to deal with puzzles and, and, and different things, and, and it, it familiarizes the team with each other, but it also gets your brain off of this, that, that constant thought process. And I think that, you know, we, we forget sometimes that our, our minds are like muscles, and the more they're strained in one specific exercise, the more damage you can do. It doesn't just build the, build the muscle, it actually can do damage long term. And so trying to understand the, the mental side of this and the perseverance side of it and trying to help the, the uh, employees understand that there are ways to deal with it and that if they end up in a, in a, getting too fatigued or getting burned out, that they need to, to, to discuss with their management. But I think that if you're going into a, a company and you're going to get hired somewhere, I would make sure that they don't run it. You know, there's, there's a term here in the U.S. where they, they call it a, you know, a dev shop, basically. It's like you're taking on these really difficult development projects and your, your time frame is, is nil and you've got, you know, you're, it's basically like the Pony Express. You just whip the horse until it's dead and then you jump on another horse. And that's, that's, not, that's not conducive for anything long term. And so I think that if you're going and interviewing at these companies, make sure that the company culture is something that is, has, has a lot of openness and transparency with the, with the employees. Make sure the middle management isn't just going to shut you down and tell you to shut up and work harder. I mean, I think that that is, that is a legitimate gripe. It's a legitimate concern for anybody who employs people who do this type of work and should be taken extraordinarily seriously. Uh, I, I would say, and, you know, I, I'll say this quietly because, I'm, you know, I'm an employer, right? But if you're an employee and you're seeing that sort of thing. Remember, remember this discussion about the skills gap. I mean, you've got power in the market. Don't stand yeah. for it. Go find another job. Yeah. Employers and employees, they need to realize that because this is challenging and because we do what we do because we love it, that there also has to be a, a level of flexibility. 
so that so that the employee and the employer create that work-life balance, if that's even possible. I mean, I work all the time, and but that's what I love. And um, I think there has to be, on that side of it, the employer has to realize that there are going to be employees who love to work, and that's what they do best. And there are going to be employees who it's very, very important to be doing something with their children or doing stuff with their family or going out and hiking. And you need to allow them that time and space so that they can be more productive employees when they come back. There has to be flexibility. Another question here is um, someone is is kind of talking here about um, they, they have some different experience, like in engineering, um, but every time they'd want to move into cybersecurity, they are offered a role that is like lower than their current grade. Um, so, you know, we want these people to move into cybersecurity from these different technical roles. Um, any tips on, you know, kind of proving, proving your worth um, in a transition type experience like that? Well, well moving roles is always you know, it, moving career paths is always hard. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to keep in the rut. The, the thing I'd say is that this is it's quite a unique field well, when I say this cybersecurity and tech in general because there's so much that you can do online without having to be in a structure. You I mean, you know, you really can't do aerospace engineering unless you work for an aerospace company. You can't just go in your shed and tool up a jet engine. It's not realistic, right? But you absolutely can at home fire up an instance in AWS. You can load in stuff. You can do some stuff. You can there's a whole bunch of things you can just do that turn you into a very different um, uh, offering in the market from just saying, hey, I think I can learn this stuff. Um, and that's kind of a unique feature of this this information technology sector in general. And I think you should take advantage of it. Oh, I had an employer I was speaking with two weeks ago, and they were talking about uh, something similar to this. And one of the things that they said was, you know, it's great if you have this experience. It's great if you're outside of the field and you're coming in. But what they want to see is they want to see you be able to demonstrate um, some of the um, skills that they actually need. And so the suggestion was made that, so for example, uh, it's great if you have a degree and it's great if you have some of these skills, but go out there and, and do some bug bounty hunting and demonstrate to me that you have successfully done that. That's going to get you further in the, the application process. Yeah, and you'd be surprised how little of that you need to do, right? I mean, it, 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 you know, they always say, you know, the expert is the person who's the who's who's the page ahead in the book. You don't you don't need to be to be that far. It's not necessarily three years of formal training that you need. You just need to demonstrate that you've done some stuff and that therefore you have a capacity to learn this stuff and um, uh, and get stuck in. Right. Well, I think too, I mean, anytime you make a lateral move, you're asking that that's not your specialty. You're asking your, your new employer to take a little bit of a risk on you. And I think it's, I don't think that that means that you should be paid far less, especially if you have a lot of industry knowledge and, and you've got uh, time, you know, time in the industry. But I do think that it's something you've got to be sensitive to is that you're asking someone to take a risk that you're going to be able to integrate. You're going to be able to become as proficient in your new, uh, um, area of, of interest as you were in your old. And I think that uh, if, if you're willing to do that, if, or if he's willing to do that, then you should be willing uh, to, uh, you know, hedge, hedge his bet to make sure, or his or her bet, to make sure that they have, um, you know, that, that you're, you're willing to take the time and maybe a, a little bit of a pay cut to show them that you got the chops to do it. And if you do, then, you know, make sure that your employer, that you have a, a predetermined agreement of if, you know, if this works out, where am I going to be pay-wise, where am I going to be in the company? But uh, I think as long as it's, it's well um, communicated and that there's transparency between the two of you, I think it's, it, it could be a good move. But again, I would, I would look at it for what it is, which is, you know, if, if I'm hiring somebody who has the exact same history but is specifically skilled in cyber, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay that person more um, because there's less risk in it for me and there's less training. And so I think that being open to that and open to the situation that the, the employer's in um, could be, uh, you know, a positive thing. And if you're proven up and you're, once you get into the, the environment and you're, you're productive, then I would hold him to his word or him, he or she to their word in making sure that they, uh, they're keeping, keeping the deal that they cut with you. Sure. So some, some good insight there. And I know in the sake of time here, we'll have to, um, kind of wrap up with that again, want to thank everyone for joining and a special thanks to our panelists 
for an awesome session today. Um, just so much insight and so many ideas that I think we can kind of apply to our own situations. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just as a reminder, many of our podcasts also contain video components, which can be found at our YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com and type in cyberwork with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and other webinars. As ever, search cyberwork with InfoSec in your podcast app of choice for more episodes. Also to see the current promotional officer offers available to podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro live bootcamps, InfoSec Skills on-demand training library, and InfoSec IQ Security Awareness and Training Platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast. Thanks once again to Kathleen Hyde, Scott Madsen, Henry Harrison, and moderator Camille Dupuis, and thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you next week.